Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was gonna say like I I wrote out all of the various possible pronunciations for your name. <laughs> did you really? I did. Yeah. I like I was oh, sitting that's here great. like I was writing it and then like I looked at the um the prefix and the suffix and I'm like, okay, so this is this goes way back to like a Greek interpretation, but if this is if you take the Latin of this, then it could be pronounced either oh. way. And I, I just got lost in it. So No, but that's yeah. great because that is the when it comes to Hungarian. Hungarian, where, okay, yeah. Yeah, where, um, what did they name the last name, depending on, like, what you for a living? Yeah. So it's, like, in Hungarian, it's, like, coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how it's said, coaches for the coach drivers. Yeah, um, it's an ex-husband's name. That's a whole other story that'll roll out in my book. Okay, so thanks again for joining us today. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to let you go ahead and tell our tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Vinny Koshitz. Uh, you can find out about me by heading to my website, and I'll spell it out for you. It's V-E-N-N-I-E-K-O-C-S-I-S.com. Um, I wrote a book uh, entitled Cult Child. I was taken into Sam Fife's Move of God cult when I was three years old. And I write in detail about my experiences. And I was there until I was 14. Um, While in this cult, we were sequestered on compounds, first in Massachusetts and then secondly in Alaska. And we suffered some very horrific abuse. Uh, The doctrine in and of itself was based out of a child having a beast nature. And therefore, as soon as a child was born in infancy, it was encouraged that the child be disciplined and trained not to cry. So we children uh, suffered a lot of physical abuse. We also were labored. Um, We were labored from morning until night. So some of my very young memories are being up before dawn and working in the fields going to meal, back to work, lunch, back to work, dinner, church service. Everything was very regimented. We were separated from our family. Um, My mother divorced my father. Um, And I go into detail about that as well. Um, Then they moved us to Alaska. Still the same thing. Um, Discipline was very much promoted as a part of the religious doctrine. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I'm sure many people are familiar with that. Oh, yes. One of the main things they believed in, too, was demons. That anything that was wrong with you was the result of possession. This also applied to children. So we were put through some pretty brutal exorcisms. Um, as children for very slight offenses such as playing because we weren't working therefore we were idle this was the devil's work so that was very prevalent and that is how I originally began to form these dissections in my brain of course naturally to get through this horror that I'm living and part of that doctrine also um, included pedophilia And the belief that pedophilia in and of itself was a demon spirit. And so pedophiles were welcomed into this cult to um, get deliverance and be healed and 
have access to lots of very young children. So we suffered sexual molestation. I know one of the like high-ranking leaders' daughter-in-law just came out with a book where she uh, talks about how they shuffled molesters off to other farms if they got caught. And it was that type of environment. So that's a cusp of my story, not to be, you know, too detailed. If someone wants to read it, obviously they can. I'm never offended if someone can't read it. I know it's deep and heavy and written in first person because I want people to understand what happens in the mind of a child when we're contained and hopeless and helpless and every day is filled with fear and hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I really, and you know, again, I know a little bit, we were talking a little bit before we jumped on the recording here for the episode, but I just full disclosure to everybody listening. I myself have not been able to read it entirely in its entirety yet. And Venny and I did discuss that and she truly means it. She understands how she wrote it. She understands, yeah. but it's important to have books like this out there because that child's perspective is because this is something that I talk about all the time. No, please do it. It's not a birthday. It, see, and I, <laughs> I think about it the same way. I We celebrate greatly every year that I'm still alive, yeah. right? So that's how we look at yeah. birthdays. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you. And I just, I always like to double check with people. <laughs> You're 50 and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm coming up on a 32nd birthday and just oh, like wow. people, people tend to look at us now, right? The 50 year old woman, the woman in her thirties, mm. but you were a part of this cult when you first like were three years old, three to 14 yeah. years old. They're looking at you now hearing mm-hmm. from your child, like from the child perspective in mm-hmm. cult child is just an important way to write certain things because it gives it makes it more difficult to read and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing I think clinicians should absolutely go and pick up your book because from what I have read and from what I've heard from other people the reviews are good like all these different things it's an important perspective and I think that that's one thing that people really miss is that some of the things that we talk about, some of the different trauma aspects that we talk about, and then you with this very, very just powerful is the word book. Like, thank you. These are, these are experiences that children are having now today. Yes. They are the three-year-olds right now. I'm Uh going to be 32. You're 50. This is not who I am anymore because I came out the other side. But seeing these experiences, reading these experiences, other people who who I just describe as in a better place than I am or more capable in a different way than I am to change these legislations. Like, don't let people hide behind religion. You're a cult. That's not religion. You shouldn't be protected for hurting people just because, oh, well, let's just slap some God on this so we can be protected for our insanity. What the hell is that? Like... Yeah, I really say that, you know, I won't necessarily attack your religion, which I do, you know, I'm not really a big supporter of religion, but I'm more concerned with that freedom of religion has definitely overridden human rights of children, and I have a big problem with that. There were several times on the compound in Alaska that... Well, first, my father fought for us for four years. So the whole time we were in Massachusetts, my my father had my mother, you know, bound up in court. And here is this cult financially funding 
her whole divorce, that's how badly they mm. wanted the asset of this human being. We have religious human trafficking that is happening in our country. Yep. And this is an example of it. And they are on. They're like fifth decade. How long is it going to go on where religion is not investigated by the FBI? The FBI should have raided this compound decades ago. Decades ago. I should have been given to my father. Mm -hmm. We would have had such a different life had my father been just awarded custody of us. Mm -hmm. A man who was from an, a, a very advanced military background who helped design the F-14. He wasn't an accredited man. There was no moral reason why my father should not have been granted custody except for the culture of the times of the 70s where, yeah. you know, the kids went with the mom. They but mom. this cult very much went to great lengths to win. Mm -hmm. uh, flying my uncle in to testify on my mother's behalf. My uncle hadn't seen my mother in freaking years. He didn't know shit about what was going on in my mother's life. Mm -hmm. It was all about gaining the assets of these children. And that's very alarming to me. My mother was not a great disciplinarian before this recruiter came into her life. And yes, this is still happening today. The same system, and you'll see this in your city, um, is these little churches that are like shoved in these shopping malls. You know, these outdoor malls, right? It's like the Christian Church of Life or whatever. Yeah. It's Bible study. It's a it's a little poster for Bible study at someone's home. Um, that's how they get, got her sucked in. And, and it wasn't a fast process. It was three years of my life. Right? Yeah. So by the, my mother had no clue what she was taking her children to. She thought she was saving her children from the apocalypse, yeah. from the threat of Gorbachev and the Cold War and the Russians are coming. Yeah. And she didn't know what the fuck hit her until she drove up to that compound. And by that time, they had her mind. They and that's her. how it works. And, and people need to understand that. And that's why they want your kids at these young ages. That's why so many kids between one and seven are kidnapped. Mm-hmm. That's the formidable age of that mind and, and the physiology, unfortunately, and vilely of the body through sexual abuse. That definitely happened with me. I mean, they got me at that ripe age and spent the next four years breaking me. But they never really, truly broke me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big misconception. And you know what? We is grown now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I very much can understand that. And then just so people know a little bit more about us and our situation, we understand what Venny is talking about. We understand what you're talking about in, in regards to cult abuse and religious abuse. I myself did not deal with a cult. That was not, that was not our experience. Um, we had the, what we call the quadfecta. The, um, you know, the uh, physical, mental, sexual, and religious abuse, but not cult abuse. We did not deal with the ritualistic abuse or cult abuse. It wasn't, it wasn't that. Were you ever abused or, or spanked? You know, were you taught that um, spare the rods, spoil the child, oh, yeah. children seen and not heard, yeah. based out of the Bible? Absolutely, yeah, very much based out of so religion. So I feel like this, and maybe you can tell me how you feel, 
Um, and I came to this realization at a conference in Dallas where I was sitting out by the pool talking with a friend and this lifeguard who was about 16, 17, we were walking out and I was the last one and she kind of stopped and she was like, I was listening to what you guys were saying and that sounds just like my dad. And so she just starts like pouring her heart out to me that say, you know, she argued about going to church. Mm -hmm. Well, then she'd get her car taken away or her phone taken. There was punishment. And I thought, shit, like that is a family cult. If you look at the the definition that a cult, right? The Catholics coined the word. It means to worship. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, they're like hundreds of thousands if not millions of tiny family cults across the globe where children are being raised that is a fascinating realization to me right now Mm -hmm. anyone who's listened before knows that when i start to slow like this it's my brain going what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) let me process this (laughs) i need to process that real quick but no yeah that's an interesting way to look at it because yeah i mean to worship right like that's Mm -hmm. That's the... Anything outside of yourself, right? Yes. So from childhood and birth, right. you're taught that, I mean, in my case, you know, we were beasts. Right. Yeah. There's the breakdown of the self-esteem in your case at home. You know, you belong mm-hmm. to God. Your life is to be in service of a God. Yeah. Um, that whole bullshit uh, after punishing you of, you know, all oh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. No, actually, it hurts me. Hey, that one too. Um, yeah. I think what dissected me the most, honestly, Erica, was the sexual abuse. I think yeah. I think all abuse is horrific. I just yeah. think sexual abuse, I think that is a huge contributor in that poly situation like you were talking about. Yeah. Of creating dissociative disorders in us because it's I just so agree. horrific. Even lovingly, it's I horrific think to experience. I, I'm, a, I'm with you on that. And the reason that I think that is the largest component to in creating DID specifically, like not just associative disorders, I'm with you, but Mm -hmm. in creating DID, it's that sexual abuse aspect. And I think a piece of the reason, and I look at it in a physiological way at times, I look at it in a vocabulary way. If you can't process something, you can't figure out the opposite of it and how to get through it. Right. So the three-year-old being sexually abused, the, the toddler yeah. who doesn't have even full vocal skills yet, your brain cannot actually even fathom what's occurring. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have the language, you don't have the, the knowledge to express what is going on. And people who, and this is just one of my personal pet peeves I'm going to share here right now, is that people, when they're talking to their children about their private parts, no, your child doesn't have private parts. Your child has a vagina, a penis, and a butt. Yep. Stop saying private parts because what do you mean private parts? Well, what I mean when I tell my child private parts is anything covered by their t-shirt and jeans. Okay, so what happens when they go swimming? Are their legs private? Is their upper thigh private? Uh, What are you talking about? Stop saying that. (laughs) Like, Give your child the language to protect themselves. I understand it's horrific. You don't want to think about it. It's better to think about it now than have to try and figure it out later. Yeah, I was a really hypervigilant mother. I mean, that was, of course, my worst fear. Sure. You know, that my children would be molested sure. over everything. And I just kept it real. And I just said, listen, 
If someone touches you, even if they lay their hand on your arm and you feel weird inside, they should not be touching you. That's called intuition. So my education of their body included that it was theirs and it was sacred and they got to share it with whom they wished to share it with. Nobody was ever allowed to threaten them. That molesters were not the stranger on the street, but they could be anybody in your family and this is how you know and I empowered them yeah and that to me is real really you know my grandchildren are educated that way yeah you know my oldest granddaughters got that you know what who me and that's okay yeah she should have that she should um yeah. not in a rude way but no in a, no that's that, a boundary breaker and that's different like it, the people because people talk about like I hear that all the time from people I hear that from friends who you know don't don't have a trauma history or whatever however you want to define that but they talk about well I don't I don't know when I was a kid like I always had to like hug everybody because you know they're your family and stuff right stop doing that to your kid <laughs> like that's right I agree because for me there were certain relatives that man we got real unpleasant when I was forced to hug them because these were some of the people that were hurting me. So like, don't tell, act right. Um, you know, you know, what would, what would Jesus do? Like hearing all these different things and then a smack to the back of your head. Like if you don't be respectful of your elders, you're going to get it when you get home. Okay. Well then you can beat me later when we get home because this person I'm not touching. (laughs) Like, yeah, I and think like, it's important that parents and children have a different education. Yes. And I think the reason why that is, is because, unfortunately, there are children that have other issues in their lives mm. who will project, right? So yeah. they should know this certain education about their body. And then parents, I mean, it should be a required class that you oh, learn the signs of your child being abused or unhappy what does it look like Mm -hmm. are they slacking in their homework are they this or that what does it look like and so it's like this I hate models I hate them I hate them I can't say that enough these stupid models I want to slap them off of the internet that it's ridiculous to think that every person who's been abused yes we have similar things that we all relate to yeah but we all have different circumstances we all process i know i went through horrific things that even my own mind goes really like sometimes like wow like that should happen to me and i'm able to have a severance a functionality to my life luckily i'm able to you know form my day in my life toward what my needs are and I know people who are in, say, a horrific car wreck mm. who struggle just to function. Yep. Everyone just processes trauma differently yep. and it has to be accepted. And the comparison game is like, Argh! Yeah, the the comparisons, it I'm I'm with you. Those things those things kind of make me twitch because like I and I'm I'm sure you actually you you probably get messages too from people talking about, well, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time. It wasn't as bad as what you went through, like, but I get those messages and I just, I feel bad for them because they have the right to embrace the way that, that, that something has affected them and they don't need to minimize it because my story is so, you know, horrific and, you know, I immediately 
like put them at ease. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the things that makes it difficult for survivors to read my book is that when you're little, everything is sensory. Yeah. Trigger warning uh, of what I'm about to say. Something that was pressed against my back during story time, for instance, which was an erect penis. Mm-hmm. In my mind, as a four or five year old child, I thought to myself, I wish he would take that stupid belt buckle off. It hurts. Mm-hmm. And then I recall a sense of dread for story time. I recall the way the room looks, yeah. the, the decor of the room. Um, but I have blank spaces because those are the times I dissociated right. away from what was being done to me. Yeah. And there's an acceptance I now have that I may never have those memories back. And you know what? Mm-hmm. If it's more and more abuse, I'm okay with that. Like I've seen and remembered enough and riding cult child put me in a forced integration mode. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what. I was doing, but I knew that there was chatter in my head mm-hmm. and it was confusing and it was kind of making me pretty much my whole adult life have a chaotic type personality that was like borderline, sure. right? Yeah. What people might refer to as switching. Also dealing with other things. An example might be, you know, I've had this conversation with my kids where I really did intend like, let's say to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. But then the day would come and anxiety had riddled me, but I didn't know I was, had no language, zero, none. And I had been conditioned in the cult against psychiatry, much like Scientologists are, um, under a different premise. It's under a religious faith healing premise, Mm -hmm. but I was taught that psychiatrists were there. This is so like mind blowing to me now, if you really think about it the juxtaposition of this belief system. Mm -hmm. Psychiatrists are there. Psychologists are there to, to ruin your mind Mm -hmm. while they're ruining, while they're ruining your mind. Yes. I mean, it was just like, wow. So I I spent a lot of my life. I just, people think you're not present when you're dissociating. And some people Mm -hmm. aren't, I mean, there's different levels. There's all different associations. And I even, you know, working now as a therapist come to understand it's possible I had near-death experiences as a child don't have white light memories I have a here there memory um like with the snap of a finger yeah but I was like okay I'm by myself it's 2007 I'm like mom's dead I know that sounds really kind of crass but I was Mm -hmm you know, dealing with these non-connected feelings towards her. And I can write this book now. I'm like, I've got to figure this shit out in my head. Yeah. And I, you know, you get this feeling like, okay, this is your name and this is your name. And oh, this is you. And um, there was a process that kind of brought me to integration. One was reading a native book about ways you could lose your soul. And that was my very first process was like whoa like I think maybe my soul has taken flight and so I started like calling to it and I'm writing at the same time and I'm like I can't write this as me Mm -hmm. Angie 
my birth name. Like this yeah. is too much. Like I'm freaking out. I'm crying and migraines and vomiting. And yeah. I, you know, and this name pops into my head, Scylla. I can do that. I mm-hmm. can write my story through the eyes of this little girl. So it, it all kind of like flowed in this uncontrollable thing that helped me cope through writing and knowing became this really spiritual part of me that emerged to keep me balanced and Maud came to go hey guess what you get to make boundaries now and like all this chatter calmed and I was like okay I understand these canisters and I can open them when I wish yeah and say I need you know because they all um, so that's how I understand dissociative identity disorder. I know that it's me. That's yeah. how I understand it. It's all a part of me. Mm-hmm. It's not different people who live within me. Mm-hmm. It is to me likened to a computer, right? Yeah. We might have a computer that we create multiple hard drives on. And each of those hard drives hold these information. And I get to decide when to access it now. So I had to flip the control. Yeah wasn't running me anymore. So yep. that's how I began that, that journey of bringing some sense of calm into my head and mm-hmm. conversation. I really appreciate the way you explain that too. That, as I imagine, you know, within the DOD community, that's one of those big, big fire starter buttons that people talk about integration. It's just one of those topics that people fly off the handle about me personally. I I don't, I think it's interesting. I don't really fly off the handle about it. I think that the way that psychology and psychiatry discuss it is problematic because the way that it's discussed, nobody can ever explain it to you. You just very clearly and simply explained it. Psychologists, psychiatry, books you read based from clinicians, they can never explain it. Like, it's, well, you know, it's, it's the work that you put in and then just, they're gone. Your parts are gone. They're not gone. They're they're part of my brain. What do you mean they're gone? Like I I I am with you on that. Because the way that I look at integration is living a unified life with a singular purpose, right? Like I don't get high stressed and then this particular part, whatever it was from years ago, would just live my life. Because for me, that was my experiences. I have decades of nothing. Just no memory, nothing, right. nothing right. in my brain. Mm-hmm. And now with, now with therapy, that's been much improved. And things are working far more clearer. And things are progressing. There's healing, however you want to put that. But I like the way that you put that in with the analogy of the hard drive. Is that they... Because I'm with you, and I think that part of the struggle that I'm having right now in discussing this is that I know that I'm going to get messages about this from people with DID. Like, what do you mean? Well, I, like, think, I think that people first need to understand that, for me, integration did not and would never mean elimination. Right, and that's so a disconnect that's a for some people. I don't mean fact, elimination. Yeah, yes. Yes, and yes. a lot of therapists unfortunately define it that way but there's a lot who don't because I will say this I had a canister that's what I call it (laughs) who I really was afraid of 
when I accessed this information, it felt very dark. She felt dark. I thought, oh, my God, if this ever takes me over, like, I could be a dangerous person. Like, my mind was going there. And so I got obsessively focused on how could I like empty out this canister like get rid of this Mm -hmm. and just like okay so I'm sitting in my by this time I've written cult child I'm in therapy and I tell her this and she looks at me and she said why why would you ever want to empty that canister out aside from taking information looking at it processing it and putting it back in its place that information was there. That person, canister, whatever you want to call it, was there in a time that you needed it. Yes. To protect you, to help you get through. Yeah. That may be the canister that holds some of the nastiest, ugliest parts of your memories. So stop being afraid of it and understand you have control over it. Right. And it is your decision yeah. as the brain that holds these canisters. Yeah. I think organizing it like that helped me gain control like oh I get to take the lid off I get to and I will somehow uh, uh sometimes have a little like um if if a certain thought process goes through my head that I'm aware is not necessarily how I would think I will say stop mm-hmm. not in the mood for this okay right I now can have this mm-hmm. kind of calm conversation with the tipping of that lid, but yes. yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely, in fact, I mean, to ask someone to empty their brain out and that will make them better. That is, so what do they do? Like deprogram and reprogram? I mean, yeah, I can understand that process, but okay. that's where I think inner child work comes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't understand the full, like, are you like trying to reprogram the brain or what are you, what are you doing there? And it just, it never gets explained. So if you are a psychologist listening to this and you can explain what you mean when you work with people with DID into integration, I would love to hear from you. The we and me blog at gmail.com because I'm just curious because so far a few hundred of your colleagues have not been able to give me any semblance of explanation. By the way, the, field defines it. I mean, there are, we've worked with many very good doctors at this point in the work that we do with the living DID talks and stuff. See, because for me, a lot of people struggle sometimes when I don't say we, right? Because the name we use is the we in me. I think people kind of misunderstand that. They find it cute and amusing. First of all, I didn't specifically coin that. A different part of me did. But part of me. They are a part of me. And my goal in therapy is to have that understanding and have this information, this processing, this healing, and all of these various things that you yourself are talking about right now. I like the uh, canister analogy. I like the computer analogy. It fits in my Mm -hmm. brain very well. Um, Yeah. Because for for me, like I have the diagnosis of DID and my life was just a chaotic mess for many, many years. Um, and like to the extent of waking up in a different country before having no knowledge of how I got there. It's very tricky. And with some of those experiences, like when I got the diagnosis finally of DID, I was like, okay, this makes sense. But I like the way you're explaining that because to me, that explanation is what that type of thing helps me process, right? 
So understanding and defining things helps me process. And that's a lot of the way that I think of things is that like, okay, well, it's still my brain. It just got discombobulated when it was developing. I mean, it is, you know, our brains are so amazing. And in fact, I mean, when I look at trauma survivors, our brains are amazing because we, you know, we look at science, we don't use all of our brain on a day-to-day basis, but Mm -hmm. yet survivors do Mm -hmm. because our brains hold so much. I mean, it's like a library in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do think that it is possible. And honestly, when I was writing Colt Child, I never thought of this at all. It never crossed my mind. It's just that first person writing is my voice, right? That's just my style. Yeah. But I've heard from the university of London. I've heard from other doctors who are like, wow, this is what we needed to read. Yeah. I can see why my book is so difficult for survivors to read because damn it's close to home right but for someone who's never experienced it it's a good book to read because you will know what we think when we're in 100% compliance you know these questions that are asked even about the young men from leaving Neverland you know well why didn't you I mean yeah. The layers that happen with grooming mm-hmm. and fear is the most binding yeah. thing that a child can deal with. And fear does not always look like violence. Mm-hmm. Fear can look like backlash. Fear can look like punishment. Fear can look like shunning. Yeah, It can look like so many things. Um, it's not always associated with violence. And I think all these stories that are coming out, and I was a big MJ supporter. Mm-hmm. But when I watched these guys, I was like, damn, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. I can't not unsee or unhear what I heard. Yeah, Being a survivor... There were just things that were said that were like, okay, this happened to you. Yeah. And so these conversations and the way we dissect is, is all about survival. And instead of being judged now, I will say this, and this may be very controversial. I did not play into these different parts of myself. Okay. I did not, um, how do I explain this? I got very sciencey and technical with them. I'm a nerdy, like science person. Mm-hmm. I want to figure out like the genomes and the physiology of this and why is this happening? Yeah. So I have lots of journals and I solely 100% believe in the process of handwriting and handwriting conversations and handwriting questions and who might've asked that question and why. Yeah. Um, and even if you don't have the answer right now, that's okay. Write it down. But that is how I approached what was emerging in my head. Mm-hmm. I never, um, I'm, I'm on the line about playing into them. I think that allows them a little more control instead of you containing control of your own mind. Yeah. That was something that I, I, I never do. Now, with that said, I have written under the pseudonym of knowing who's very spiritual, who I 
information that I'm like, wait a minute, what? Right? Mm -hmm. My normal mind doesn't feel like it would emerge that, but yet that is my mind, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that thing where you're like in that foggy area. Yep. Who is this really writing? And I just go with my intuition. Like, mm-hmm. my intuition will say it's coming from this canister. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's fucking deep. <laughs> you know, and I let it be. And yeah. I sign it that way. And however people are going to take it, you know what, whatever. Like, we get to be the we and me. It's how, Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that I think that's another important thing. And another reason why we will have anybody who reaches out that I end up being interested in. And I don't mean that rudely. Um, but as far as like an interesting topic, like I don't, mm-hmm. this isn't playtime to me. Right. Right. Quote unquote. This is real information from real people because it could really help people. Yes. Um, that's why we do this, but it's something that I'll have anybody on as a guest. I will have absolutely anybody on who wants to share their story that takes it seriously and that has beneficial information to share, whether it helps them individually or whether it could help 8 million people. It doesn't much matter to me. If it's an interesting conversation and you want to have it, you're welcome to email us. But like... That's one that's one thing that I mean is because like I mean even if we're we're two seasons into the show now. And even if wow, you just congratulations. Like, Thank you. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Additionally, because I've been able to do it release episodes once a week for two seasons now since mm. like end of September last year. Wow. That is a massive piece of consistency for my life, and it is the most consistency that I've ever really had in my life. So it's just something that I was pleased about. Um, yeah, that's a big accomplishment because people don't understand, like, scheduling is difficult. Yeah. You know, I have a very hard time with it because mm-hmm. part of living with this impairment is that you can't predict. Yeah. Like, most people on a normal day can predict they're going to get up in the morning, they're going to get ready for work, you know, work's cool, you know, their life is generally happy. Yep. We live in a different mindset. Um, we much. don't actively think about it, like, no. how am I going to wake up tomorrow? It doesn't work like that. But we may wake up from day to day feeling different. It's why we, mm-hmm. you know, can have struggle maintaining schedules and yeah. pressures and have these certain needs that we have in order to maintain joy yeah. <laughs> and happiness. You know, when I think of things like that, like if I wasn't able to create or write or have access to these pieces of my brain. Yeah. To even suggest for me to eliminate them would probably throw me into a very deep depression. What would I have to understand myself with? Yeah. Um, yeah. Some children aren't born ever getting to form an identity. So right. how do you figure that out? How do you, you know, they talk about inner child work. Okay, great. I really do believe in inner child work and it did help me, but it also looks different for different people. Right. Because let's take cult people, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a very dear friend who was born into it. Okay, I was taken in at three. So I have a little bit, right, of years to go back to. And I can recall my father loving me and, you know, little severances of of love. Um, She doesn't have that. She doesn't have it. So how does she figure out who am I? Mm -hmm. You know, who, you know, and even for me, you know, 
that's where you grasp onto what what does spark joy inside of you to kind yeah. of like still Marie Kondo's little <laughs> I love that phrase but yeah for people who don't have that reference you know what makes you feel joyful like no part of ourselves and if I like I, going back to fearing that part of myself yeah how did I process that I process it through conversation mm-hmm. and through writing and through listing out what was I afraid of this person was mean. This part of me um, was very closed off, unemotional, cold. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be any of those things. And so I was terrified that that lid of that canister was going to blow off and all of that was going to seep and take over my brain. Yeah. So the only way for me to deal with that was to really take a look at Okay, so if I get angry, I can deal with that. If this happens, I can deal with it. If this, mm-hmm. I can cope, I can cope, I can cope. Yeah. So don't fear parts of yourself. Don't avoid them. Write to them. Yeah. Write with them. Write, write it out. You can go back later and go, oh, that makes so much sense. Absolutely. That is something that I talk to people about all the time in regards to the... Oh, we get, we see the questions and we get the questions specifically about like, well, what do you do with God? What are they? I can't think, I can't find the word persecutors. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, first of all, don't call them persecutors. <laughs> like, <And> trolls. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like persecutory parts and that type of thing. How people oh, you will. Mean inside. Yeah. Who inside. Have, yes. Yeah. Okay. Now I understand. They are kind of like trolls too, but yeah, I mean, it's rough, but like, well, I mean, if you're, you know, the, cause you're talking about, don't, don't fear them, write to them and talk to them and that, you know, Mm -hmm, that type of mm -hmm. thing, you know, and that, because you need to get that understanding of, okay, well, this is a part of you too. This is a part of who you are as well. And collectively all of these different parts, these canisters, are why you're here. <laughs> like, uh-huh. they're why I'm 32. They are why. these All these different canisters. They're yeah. why you're yeah. 50. You know? Like, yeah. there's, I mean, there's tons of reasons. Yeah. There's tons of different things that occur in a life. These canisters in your brain kept you alive. <laughs> yeah, turning 50 was really a struggle for me. I went through a little bit of situational depression really? for a few days before. Yeah, in my head did this. You'll laugh. Um, you know, I'm going to be 50 and probably nobody will remember my birthday, but it's really not a big deal if anybody remembers my birthday because it's just the birthday, but probably <laughs> everybody's like getting together and planning a big bash for me. But even if they don't, it's okay. Like this is my head <laughs> process, right? And yeah. meanwhile, I'm like, <laughs> small thing. My family had a wonderful barbecue. It was beautiful oh, nice. and peaceful. But I had some self-deprecating thoughts. You're mm. 50. What do you have to show for it? This is your life. Mm. What, what, you know? And so here's how I deal with it. If my granddaughter, my eldest granddaughter, who's 12, came to me and said, yeah, yeah, I hate my life. I hate myself. Mm. I'm unhappy. What would I say to her? Yeah. How would I, like, help her? And that's how I should help myself. So I go, okay, so you're 50 and you don't feel like, why? I get my notepad out. Um, Well, this thought just happened. I don't feel like I've done shit in my life. Why? (laughs) Why? And then under it, I have this list. I wrote cold child, wrote a book, 
I wrote Becoming Gratitude, wrote a book, I wrote Dusted Shells, wrote a book, and suddenly yeah. this statement that you aren't shit and you haven't done anything in your 50 became this long list of accomplishments. Right. And that's what I do with those ugly, mean trolls in my head who mm. are the voice of my abuser who want to tell me that I'm still that beast nature. Yeah. I tell them yeah. all the reasons why I'm not. Why you're not. Yeah, I like that. I like that perspective of it and how to go about handling some of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm very, Yeah, I'm very much with you on that because that's, I know sometimes people find it funny in a way to have like the conversation with yourself, right? Like you hear that, you hear that chatter in your head in mm-hmm. some instances and just the, okay, hold on. Yeah. Just stop. Breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Write it down. Think about it. However it is that you need need it to be done to process it, right? If you need to mm-hmm. write it down so you can physically see the problem in your hand, mm-hmm. write it down so you can physically see the problem in your hand. Do what it is that you need to do mm-hmm. to increase the quality of your own life. Well, yeah, because sometimes it hits you in spaces like the grocery store yeah. or in traffic, yeah. you know, where you normally, I think a lot of people will like panic, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Try not to do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, think again. If it was a little kid going, mommy, mommy, can I take my seatbelt off? Or daddy, can I climb in the front? What would you say? What would you say? Just hold on. We're going to be in the parking lot in a minute. Mm-hmm. I'll take my notebook out and we'll talk about it. Just hold the thought and hold the thought. Yep. That That's where like, okay, just hold on. Let's get through the grocery line. Like that's the conversation that happens in my head. And when we get to the car, you know, and sometimes I'm with my friend and she's understanding and I wouldn't have friends that weren't understanding when I say, give me just a second, I need to grab my notepad Mm -hmm. and write something down. There's no invasion of my privacy. Like, oh, really? What are you writing down? Nothing. There's quiet. Yeah. Accept the quiet. Keep those little tiny notepads. They're like 99 cents. I have them everywhere. Everywhere. And all my purses, like, if I switch out purses, there's one in there. There's one in there. Um, Grab a pen and write on your hand. If you're in the grocery store and you're, like, terrified, like, I'm always terrified I'm going to lose the thought right yeah in my mind it's profound and most of the time it's like not profound but (laughs) after I get done processing it right I will like write it on my hand because I know I'm going to see and glimpse my hand when I grab my steering wheel so just Mm. little those are just coping tips but the biggest step is doing them and I understand that people are tired like I accept that like there's a literally like I think just an emotional weariness because you add on the struggle you add on life and work and paying bills and things that other people are like well that's no big deal well you know what you're not walking in my shoes where Mm -hmm. I struggle just to get the hell up out of bed some days right I had to give you five spoons just to get up go to the bathroom and brush my teeth this morning so (laughs) (laughs) I'm down a lot of spoons in the first 20 minutes of my day yeah yeah it's um you know I just can't say, I can't have an opinion on something that I haven't experienced. Right. You know, I can have an understanding. I can yeah. say, I understand and I can accept, but, and I can suggest, mm-hmm. but, um, ultimately I think you have to be willing to put the tools into place. And I spent many years not willing to do it. In fact, 
for a long time, I thought if I heal, like what am, what am I possibly going to create? Like yeah. if I get rid of all my pain, where am I going to be then? Who will I be? <laughs> you know? And I created so much more in art and, you know, I'm almost now I'm really exploring being a teenager um, post cult because I left the cult at 14 and yeah. I'm, I'm writing this sequel called Rise of Scylla. Man, the aha moments, Um, the different type of dissociation between Mm. cult child and being little and being a teenager. Oh, you dissociate in such different ways. Yeah. So I'm writing in the same voice. I mean, you're really hearing my thoughts and it's raw. And I'm even learning about myself. Like processing things that happened as a teenager and living with my wild and crazy mother um and being a a dissociative type throughout my life until you know 2007 that's kind of a long time um there's things like one story uh my youngest son one of his biggest memories is me taking him to see shrek Mm -hmm. when shrek came out Mm mm-hmm And one day he was just really like, and he gets this brightness to his face and dimples and, you know, he's, they're both adults, but still, you know, you look at your child and you're just like, oh, they're so joyful. And he tells this story about, you know, going to the movies and, and I'm lying, you know, he's like, don't you remember mom? And I'm like, yeah, it was wonderful. And the truth is I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I have racked my brain now he knows I don't remember. I feel comfortable telling him. But, yeah. of course, when they're littler, you're like, yeah. yeah. But I think what's important for people to understand is that that does not mean that I wasn't present with my child during the movie. Yeah. It means that I had extreme anxiety over movie theaters, which I still have because packed in people and, you know, all mm-hmm. of those things that come with anxiety. And so I imagine that another canister opened and emerged and kind of was like, we got this. Yeah. Went to the movies and you're, and maybe if you'd asked me during the week after the movie, I may have remembered, but as time goes on, that's where that memory loss happens. I never, ever experienced an immediate switching. Like whomever was present was, was present Mm -hmm. and handling it and things were okay. It's, now looking back there's and I have gaps to Erica like yeah you know and yeah. and I think my therapist has been really astronomic with helping me with that and understanding that there was a great pressure I put on myself for many years to recover everything in those gaps like I needed to know it was just like a constant burning question in my mind it it can haunt you mm-hmm. but some of those gaps I came to understand scientifically don't necessarily mean that trauma was happening to me trauma right. was also all around me it was all around and so you. It, yeah. yeah and so I could have like just been robotically yep in and out of my days. And so if I was to recover every single day in that gap, it would just be more abuse and more abuse yeah. and surrounded by more abuse. And it's yeah. that, and I don't have that obsession as much anymore. It's good. I do think there's a little bit more, you know, coming yeah. out, sure. but I really encourage people to write, 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 like, yeah. like write your questions, write who you think it is. 
you know, what their purpose is. Um, mm. I love that my therapist is like, check in, like check in. Yeah. She, she's really cool. She'll, she'll like make little analogies based on my analogies. She's, she's adjusted to me and, you know, check in with, with each of those canisters, make sure nothing's molding or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, does mm-hmm. it need to be fluffed around or, you yeah. know, cause I don't know you, but I can have kind of dormant periods mm-hmm. or like, I'm just kind of like, do, 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 through life. Just but, kind of scrolling um, along. I've never experienced anything that's portrayed on like Split or even Sybil or, or many faces of Eve or, and I'm not discounting that, but I have never experienced that level of being able to like call up an altar. I don't think I would no, I play around like that. Um, yeah, not like it. Certainly not in the way that Split portrays it. Let's just be clear oh my about God. that. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get that whole thing out of the way. New. No. <laughs> I know. I am I not know. a shapeshifter. None of my parts are in my brain. Like in the deep, deep thoughts of my brain, it'd be really wicked awesome if we could climb walls. <laughs> but like, well, you know what? We can't split an excellent movie is if they had actually given him psychosis as a diagnosis yeah. and had that whole thing going on in his head, yeah. that would have been a much more realistic movie. But, yes. you know, it definitely, I don't like the exploitation of dissociative disorders because no, me neither. it's such a vast disorder to have. And it's just, yeah. I don't even think a movie, maybe a movie can be made about one person's story, but it certainly can't be made about the disorder itself. No, I don't think so. Uh-uh. I mean, you could get, you could get glimpses of something, but that's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah. you can't do like a movie about dissociative disorders. That's just, it's not feasible. No, no. I don't, I don't think it would work at all. And again, like you said, you could do a singular experience type thing, but yes, they've done those. Yeah. And honestly, okay. I don't. I mean, uh, what, what, what was the one you mentioned? Three Faces of Eve. I found it boring, to be honest. Yeah, like, yeah. I just didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing. I don't really remember much about it. And I like classic movies, just to, just to be right. clear. Like, I, I love classic movies. Um, Myrna Loy, one of my favorite actresses. William Powell from My Man Godfrey. And yeah. like, the Thin Man <laughs> series. Like, these are great. <laughs> like, yeah, we're, yeah. we're big fans. I, it's just Three Faces of Eve didn't do anything for me. I know I've watched it. But it's one of those things that, like, and this is something that I struggle with sometimes, too, and how I I often have to check in with my psychologist about it. Because what you had just said reminded me earlier, check in. And I I do that regularly throughout my day, throughout my week. But I also have to check in with her at times and then one other person in my life and ask, okay, this is a normal, quote unquote, typical, normal, whatever you want to say, human experience, right? Like this is typical human forgetfulness, right? Because I just can't gauge it. Yeah, I do the same thing. I'll call my friend and be like, okay, I'm having this thought and I need you to tell me, am I batshit crazy? (laughs) Or is this like a normal thought? So I'll tell her and she'll be like, no, you're batshit crazy. Or she'll be like, no, I think that sometimes too. (laughs) Yes, it's great to have quote unquote, normal person in your life who hasn't experienced trauma I need a baseline kind of like balance I need a baseline yep that's what that's what I always tell this friend of mine who I call a counterweight (laughs) yeah I need somebody to tell me like where the balance is because you know people forget right but 
I'm, I'm missing massive gaps in my memory. So that's not normal human forgetfulness. That wasn't no, that wasn't not. alcohol or drug induced. These things are not. Right. There's no medical explanation. You can go and ask the Mayo Clinic. They can tell you. I went there, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. these are not. There's not neurological deficiencies in my brain. There's no TBI, traumatic brain injury. There's mm-hmm. not brain damage. It's not that. Everything was tested, and then I got diagnosed with DID. Because that's a piece of the struggle, too, is that they really do, in a lot of instances, they test everything under the sun. And then they're like, okay, well, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a dissociative disorder. Given my history, don't you think that could have saved us all a lot of time and money? (laughs) Like, if we just said, yeah, this is probably a dissociative disorder. But the problem is doctors aren't being trained in it. I think so, too. And I think another problem, and I'm hoping that that's starting to change, is for science and psychology to hold hands because I have a combination of head yes. trauma, yes. and that would be a result of being hit in the head by an adult yep. for punishment, for an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, I have pain in my hips. Mm-hmm. I have scars from sexual abuse. Yeah. So all of those, they go together. So, yeah. yes, do I have head trauma? Yes, I do. Could some of my forgetfulness be head trauma? Yes. So then I had to learn how to identify what was head trauma and what was maybe, I'll tell you something. Here's an example. I lost my driver's license. Could not tell you where I had last had it. It was the weirdest thing because I'm like probably one of the most organized people I (laughs) think that I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through this, but this is like two years ago, you know, and my driver's license doesn't have to be renewed for years. And I'm like, so anyways, I get a new driver's license. Just the other day, I'm going through this box of paperwork and I open up this binder and there's this writing and my driver's license (laughs) is clipped with an alligator clip. (laughs) It's things like that that I'm like. Okay, who the fuck did that? All right, right, because that's the weird shit I look for. That I'm like, okay, that's, that's the weird shit. Bizarre. Yeah, that kind of lets me know this is this and that's that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I very much, I can very much relate to that. It wasn't my driver's license, but it was okay. So for those of you who've been a guest, or the and those of you who haven't, you, I have a microphone right on my desk here. You can see the size of this thing, right? Like, yeah, this is not, yeah, it's this massive. Is, it's, a, it's a professional grade <laughs> microphone. It was just gone. What? I don't know how you misplaced that. There's okay. First of all, I don't carry that thing around. It weighs like nine pounds. Okay, <laughs> like uh-huh. this thing is huge. It's got these giant headphones, right? That sit right on top of it. You have a really good connection. I'm not wearing the headphones today. I can hear you perfectly. So that guy was just gone somewhere. Know where I found it? Over there on our little daybed in the mass of stuffed animals, I crochet. So I make a bunch of stuffed animals and pillows and stuff. And it was under there. The headphones were on one of the crochet toys. Somebody was playing. (laughs) Or do you think somebody was trying to take a break from podcasting? Uh, Perfectly reasonable guess, yeah. Uh No idea. The only reason I guess that is that the headphones were actually on one of the stuffed animals' ears that I made. And oh. so it was like they were interviewing the stuffed animals. <laughs> hmm. But those are those are some of the But it's not strange. remembering um doing that. I think that 
you know, like we were talking about the head trauma and there is a lot of forgetfulness that goes with head trauma. And there's also behavioral things that go with head trauma, like kind of being volatile and things like that, Uh that, um, are a struggle to control. But, um, it's those little things where I'm like, it's an oddity that could happen. It would be like something that someone else would do is when I would know, okay, I don't remember doing that shit. And that is weird. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that was a confusing part. And then when it would happen and I had organization, which is integration for me is organization. That's, mm. I consider it one in the same. Sure. Then I could kind of tell, cause I literally, one thing that I did to understand myself was like, I um, drew a picture, and then I have a blog. It's about these dolls. I'll send it to you. It's, like, bizarre as heck. But um, to try to, like, kind of figure out what everybody looked like, what would be a characteristic Mm. I needed to kind Mm -hmm. of, like, understand. It helped me with so many things. Like, I figured out where food addiction came from, who was craving the sugar, and all of those things. But I can tell you that as I began to organize, those things happened less and less. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely feel so much calmer in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, of course I have days that I'm just like, "Ah, I can't leave the house today. Like everything is, um, but, and, and, but it has not been a slow process. Mm. If you look at that, I started in 2007, it's now 2019. That's 11 years. Mm -hmm. I think that people should be super patient with themselves and kind to yourself and always be gentle. Like, like even to that mean part mm-hmm. that I had in me, right? Mm-hmm. Needed some love. Right. And can still be kind of cold, but I think once that understanding is there with yourself, mm-hmm. like you are learning yourself, yeah. um, you know, to not be afraid of yourself. I see a lot of yeah. fear, a lot of, you okay. know, um, yeah. also, you know, maybe trying not to like psych. I'm super uh, obsessive also about my feed. I don't like negative shit in my feed on social networking. Mm-hmm. I stay away from, from too much political mm-hmm. argument. Um, I hate online drama. I will not respond to trolls. It is an immediate block. You don't get argument from me. I have my own boundaries and they are all set to preserve my peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, is part of my problem because there are certain things that, uh, you know, don't feed the trolls. I'm, I'm with you. You know, I don't, I don't feed the trolls. <laughs> there are certain things that I don't mind discussion. If you are trying to be damaging and that's, you know, we're right. just, just going to block you. But the piece of the problem for me is that I obsessively study words and the way certain things are phrased sometimes piques my interest. <laughs> so I want to have the discussion. I know I'm very consciously aware that it will later on be damaging, but it's, it's this compulsion in my brain and I am working yeah. on that. That's been just one of maybe, our Maybe um, some staring into some study of linguistics would maybe take you away from that into, yeah. you know, I'm really into linguistics too because yeah. of my religious upbringing. Mm. I needed to understand how phrases in linguistics were used on my brain. Plus I'm a writer and you're a writer. I yeah. think we just naturally love language. I think so. But there are certain things that were said to me and certain phrases said to me and dozens of other children, millions of children, like you said, for decades and decades through religious programming. Mm -hmm. But I too am very curious about, and I think that people do say 
things a certain way online to either trigger you or out of curiosity. And I too, you know, appreciate mm-hmm. curiosity always or anybody who wants to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm with you on the, the wanting to learn piece as well. I have a question. I just, I, it's a little off topic, but it goes to kind of to the discussion of things that have helped um, slow some of these compulsions. It is delving into a compulsion, but I'm, I've been able to control that and not let it slip into that. Have you ever listened to the podcast Away With Words? Your podcast? No, no. It's the a podcast called Away With Words. No, but I'm going to write it down and check it out. I think you're going to love it. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, I have to I have to look because I cannot for the life of me remember the names of the hosts. Is it on Anchor? It's on... I don't know if they're on Anchor, actually. I know that they're on Apple... And they are on, oh, they're on um, waywardradio.org. So Grant okay. Barrett and Martha Barnett, Away With Words. They have a Twitter page and stuff where you can find out a little more about them. But it is by far one of my favorite shows. It is my, um, my self-preservation because I don't much go okay. under the guise of self-care. It's my self-preservation <laughs> go to because it just it gives me something to like refocus on they discuss all sorts of different like the history of words and the history of different these different phrases and different things people it's a call-in show so people call in with some of these different phrases that like came from their grandfather or their their grandfather's father or whatever you know like all wow. these different family phrases and stuff it's it is one of the most interesting podcasts i've ever come across and actually do you know oh goodness what's her? hell on wheels on twitter no. at hell on wheels uh-uh. okay she she's the one who she loves words as well and she's the one i like that had, phrase though <laughs> yeah yeah she's she's pretty awesome She's one of my favorite Twitter people. But, cool. Um, Go check her out. She's the one who had sent me information on them. She was saying, because she knows my love for words and mm-hmm. my obsession with etymology. And she's like, I think you're really going to like this because it's, you can, you can stop it, right? So there's a show. I can hit pause if I need to stop my brain, if I need to, okay, this is delving into obsessive behavior now. This is becoming a compulsion pause, step away, I'll allow myself to listen to another episode next week Uh type thing. And I've been really, really doing well with being able to keep up with that kind of structure because that I I need consistency, but I need structure to it. I've been through um, some OCD work, you know, I had some counting Mm. things Mm -hmm. that I had to work through Uh, that would have been around like 2012 to 2014, like things like I didn't like to do things in odd numbers. So say I locked all the doors in the house, I needed to do it twice. Mm -hmm. If I screwed up and did it a third time, I had to do it a fourth because then that was an odd number. Yeah. OCD is really difficult to break it is so hard sitting on my bed and this war that happens in your mind you know you just check those doors Benny you just check them yep they're all locked but 
the other side of my brain is going, but if you just go and just check them again, it'll be over with, you yeah. know what I mean? And you can go on with your evening. Mm-hmm. And so that whole process of going, no, actually, no, we're going to sit here until this passes because I know that my doors are locked. Yep. So that was one OCD type that I had to work through was like this numeric. Everything had to do with numbers. And then another one that I had, and I still do kind of use this if I feel myself getting anxious, is numeric reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of kids will use this to get through um, abusive episodes. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways that we do it, but I mean, I can Absolutely. do it super fast, you know, seven plus seven is 14, one plus four is five. Mm. I just reduced that number. So I would find myself like compulsively in traffic doing it to the point that like, if I didn't have it reduced before the car in front of me took off, like I needed to hurry up so I could make sure, you know, that took me a while to work through. Um, and that kind of fell away as I worked through anxiety coping mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. And breathing. And that even came down to realizing what was I listening to on the radio while I was driving. Mm. Um, I have found that like, for instance, talk radio tends to keep me more present. I need to be careful with music. I tend to drift with music. Yeah. Right. So I had to examine all these little pieces in my driving environment too is like what is causing me anxiousness aside from the um hypervigilant thoughts of you're gonna have a wreck something's gonna happen you're gonna break down and be really embarrassed something's gonna happen and nobody's gonna help you you know yeah all those things that you can drive yourself crazy with yeah um, so yeah i think all of this boils down to just like self-acceptance patience taking dominion of myself to steal a biblical word (laughs) um and use it to empower myself was like i took dominion over what was done to me right the result of it i feel victorious Mm. because i realized that even in my darkest times and this is why when they say oh you know this person doesn't have critical thinking bullshit yeah when i was a little kid i may not have known how to define it but I knew some messed up stuff was going on around me. Yeah. I just didn't have any escape. But to say that a child doesn't know, oh, yes, we do know. Oh, yes. And so I think that is super important for people to just remember. And also, I have to tell people, you know, some of my abusers are still alive. A lot of them are. And they're like, oh, I just don't see that. Well, now you're looking at a 70, 80-year-old person who's on a walker. But when I knew that man, he could throw a boy, a 15-year-old boy, like a bale of hay. Mm -hmm. So it's all about, too, the observer taking their mind back. Yeah. With with the person to their experience and realizing, you know, holy crap, like it may be 20 years later Mm. for you, but it's real for me now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way you talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) It's just just, they're just important conversations to have. There's certain there are just certain conversations that I think are really important. This this episode, for example, this is one I was really glad that you agreed to come on and discuss some of these different things with us. Because Thanks for having me. There, absolutely, yeah. We'll have to have you on again when you finish I'd your next to. book. Yeah, especially after you finish your next book because that's just the next process, right? That's the next piece mm-hmm. of the dissociative yes. process. And you're talking and about you know, we are a generation of trauma. Yeah. 
all of us, mm. we are in like, and I mean, no disrespect to the older generation. There's many people in the older generation I have a lot of respect for. Sure. However, you know, I think there's those three generations of like kind of being, you know, 60 and above or 70 mm. and above that mm. are of this one way. And then there's a newer generation and a lot of us, you know, not, not that all of us weren't abused. I think we all were in different ways, but sure. I think you have a perpetration nation and you have a victim nation, yeah. both at war with each other, everybody wanting to heal, but there's some accountability that's got to happen over here. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't get accountability to heal. I was not going to sit around and wait for an apology to mm -hmm. have a happy life. But mm -hmm. as a nation, if we're going to heal from trauma, yeah. generational trauma there has to be some accountability from those who have perpetrated it and i have yeah. not seen a lot of that happening no and i think that i think that's a whole other can of worms that like <laughs> that's a whole other canister <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other canister <laughs> yeah for real though it, yeah it, it for sure is that's just a, that's a big old ugly canister that is just because you have to you have to be sorry you have to be remorseful you can't forget, like, that's a whole other thing, but, like, you can't, there's no, there's no forgiving someone who isn't sorry. Like, I can, I can move on, I can heal, I can forgive someone who doesn't know better. The generational trauma aspect of things was mm -hmm. very much mm -hmm. a large part of what our problems were growing up, is that severe generational trauma that just continued to just hammer right. on the well, I did what I, the best I could. I didn't know any better. I didn't have an example as a mother. Okay. Think about it though. Think about what you just, I've heard that before from my own mother. And mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're working on things. We're working on building a relationship now because that's my choice, right? I'm, right, I'm the adult right. now because I do understand many things. The difference though, is that she is apologetic. Yeah. That's a big difference. She's not, mm -hmm. she's not some, I am not telling you to go and, you know, ask for forgiveness or be around people that are harmful to you. I am right. simply sharing my perspective. Um, mm -hmm. My mother is not a narcissist. Like, this is a different thing. But one thing that I did point out to her in a recent conversation that we did have is that she talks, has repeatedly throughout my entire life talked about how, well, I just didn't, I didn't have an example. I didn't have a mother. I didn't know any better. And I had finally asked her just recently, like, who, neither did I. Like, what do you, what are you missing? Just, what do you mean? Well, I didn't have anybody teaching me that either. I figured it out for myself because I wanted to do better. I figured that out at eight years old. How come you didn't know that at 40? What do you mean? How are you? I think that there's a difference too. I mean, I'm kind of in that middle generation now because I'm a you, mother. Yeah. I'm a grandmother and right. I'm also a child who was abused and my mom has passed away. But yeah. I think, you know, there's so much differences for like, let's just take the last three generations, which would be like yours, mine, and then the forward moving generation. Yeah. You know, there's technology, there's all of this information mm. that I kind of have an envy over, right? I'm like, damn, if I would have just known that yeah. as a parent, I wouldn't have failed at that. And so I see both sides. And I mean, like, I do have empathy for, for adults. Like, I even have empathy for my own mother. 
Like, Hmm. I know she was messed up. I know she was abused. Did she continue to be a narcissist to her death? Yes. Mm. She denied everything. She accused me of having a vivid imagination. She was Mm -hmm. nice to other people, mean at home. The typical narcissist kind of psychotic, you know, behavior. But I, in the least, have an explanation for why she was like that. And Mm. I think the only thing that we can do right now is exactly what we're doing. Like, I can only heal for my children. Yeah. That's all I can do. Mm-hmm. You know, because I certainly can't heal for my mother. You know, there's other adults from the cult that are very honest, you know, about some of the abuses. You know, I yeah. can like have, res- I can, it's the one, it's the deniers that piss me off. Yeah. It's when they say you're a liar. That didn't happen. Sam Pfeiffer's a good man. They're the ones that make me angry, righteously angry yeah. because you, they're purposely lying. They, they know it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of healing is you can have empathy and understanding for why your parent was so cruel to you yeah. without having to be around them or needing a relationship with them. Absolutely. Like I don't mourn my relationship with my mother and right. I have this different look about forgiveness concepts. Like I kind of feel like it's a religious concept. Mm-hmm. First of all, the Bible instructs that that forgiveness is asked for, Mm. that the transgressor goes to the person they have harmed and they ask for forgiveness and they fall on their knees before God and ask for forgiveness. It is not something that is given. It is something that is asked for. And Christians love to throw that in mine and my fellow survivors' faces. You're bitter. Mm -hmm. You need to forgive. Well, you know what? Nobody's ever asked me for forgiveness. Nobody's asked for my forgiveness. Exactly. Mm, thank you. Good. Jeez. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I mean, Honestly. to quote their own Bible. To quote right? the to Bible. Quote, yes. This is your book. Yes. What do you What are you missing here? Like, yes. This is your book. <laughs> like, and I don't know any. I mean, it does say forgive those. And I, I, th- this is their response. Well, you know, the Bible says forgive those who have transgressed against you. No, mm-hmm. actually, that's not true. Mm-hmm. That's the Lord's prayer. That was Jesus making a prayer to his father. Mm -hmm. And he asked his father to forgive those who had trespassed against him. Against him. Never does it require in the Bible for anybody who's been harmed to personally give forgiveness. In fact, it states that forgiveness should come from God. So that's a victim blaming aspect that I don't like from religious people. I'm with you. I am absolutely with you on that. Um, I'm really privileged that you've had me on to discuss this. You know, I'm pretty private about it, but I do write about it on my blog. And and if you go to my blog and search um, a post called The Dolls, it's very interesting up, yeah. convergence and how I kind of organized myself at first using these dolls and then I advanced um, even more. And this is what I call integration work, mm. is when you just like bring everybody together as a healed family. Mm-hmm. And now you're integrated. Yeah, I like that. I like the way you yeah, I like the way you talk about that. I like the way you explain that. Um and I hope that anybody who had difficulty with some of that conversation earlier on in the episode listened fully through so they understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Um it's it's something that I tell people all the time. I am here for you if you need support, but your mental health, your mental illness is your responsibility. 
It ultimately comes down to you. If you need help, people are here to support you through it, but I can't do it for you. Oh, I was one of those people. So I understand it absolutely. I was Mm. one of those people for, shoot, 20 years Mm -hmm. who you could never have told me something was wrong with me. I would have been defensive. You know, what's your, you know, we would have had an argument. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me looking at myself. It took me writing, really. I mean, that's, yeah. that was the break, is when I was just like, okay, now I'm going to write this book. And when you start delving into your memories, be ready. Mm-hmm. Because the byproduct can be, it's not like this for any, but everybody, but for me, it was pretty, it's pretty intense. Migraines, um, mm-hmm. periods of depression, crying a lot. Oh, God, I cried lots. Yeah. So, you know, when I was working, I would schedule writing time to when I could heal. So like maybe like for me, a lot of times emotions will hit 24 hours later. So I go, okay, I'm going to write Thursday and I'm going to write Friday. That way I can cry all day Saturday and Sunday <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be ready to go back to work on Monday. So I went through that process as I began to know, or another thing I would do is like, I knew I was coming up and I'm do this now on a, a, a difficult thing to write. Mm. Like not all of it's difficult. Some of it's kind of funny or, sure. you know, I made sure and have like self care things like, yeah. you know, maybe a little sweets or, you know, okay, I'm going to write for two hours and then I'm going to take a bath. Mm-hmm. Like it really does take, it takes the same active care for your mind as you would give if you had a broken leg mm-hmm. or a horrible gash on your arm or a burn or whatever physical element that you would self-care your body, right, to heal yeah. is the exact same thing we should do for our minds, mm-hmm. I think, and spirit. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on the importance of self-care. I view it a little differently in that with with self-care, I don't I don't typically define it that way. I look at it as just maintaining myself. If I know that there because there are still certain days of the year that are really complicated, right? Right. There's Same. Yeah, triggering I get times it. of year, that type of thing. So Mm -hmm. if I know that something like that is coming up, then I do what I need to do to take care of that. Because for us, and, you know, just trigger warning, for us, a very triggering thing is a bathroom. Mm. I know that that's not necessarily, I don't know how to define that, necessarily a typical thing. But, like, bathrooms, the room. Is triggering. Is for it us. because something bad happened to you in that environment? Yes, in that okay. environment. I understand yes. that. Now the difference is, is that I am working with is I am taking time every week to stand in my physical bathroom at home because most people in the US have a bathroom in their house. You can't really avoid that trigger in the world. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. not if you live in, like, the U.S. or, you know, in, other than third world, you can't really avoid that. So right. each week, I look at this as maintaining myself and bettering myself, but not necessarily self-care. Because I will stand in my bathroom and just look in the mirror. And Because another piece of our bathroom that is especially triggering is we have one of the trifold mirrors, right? Mm. And you can just, because you can see multiple directions, it really messes with my head. So I just stand in the mirror for five minutes and I say, okay, this is my house. My husband lives here. I live here. My dogs live here. I'm safe here. 
this is my house. And I just repeat this for just yeah. a few minutes. And then I just, I have to breathe again. I can feel myself getting hot thinking about it. And yeah. then I leave the room and I open the door and say, okay, it was my choice to lock that door. It was my choice to unlock that door. And we just, we just do these types of things. But I look at this and then from that, it causes some distress, right? So I'll go and I'll listen to the podcast away with words. Because for me, that gets my mind on something else and that's my self-care. But I look at that as just something that I should do. Like if I, I sprained my wrist the other day, right? It's still sore, but it's getting a little better. So like I put ice on it last night, like how you would maintain something to care for yourself and what you were just talking about. But I do the same thing with my brain. It's, it's self-care, but I look at it more as maintenance. This is something that I need to maintain. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll build and get away from me. Yeah, I really like that a lot. And there's so many things in life that, like, I just had, over the last few months, a lot of dental work done. Mm -hmm. And I found myself kind of getting sick a little bit. Yeah. And, I, you know, you realize that if going to the doctor, physical things, like, for me, I grew up being faith-healed. Mm -hmm. And so... I realized, okay, I'm dealing with a trigger here. Yeah. There's a really good book called PTSD, Time to Heal. It's by a lady named Kathy O'Brien. And one thing I love, and it's a workbook. Oh, and it's, okay. it's nice and short. It's perfect. I mean, you can tell she really gets it right because we survivors, at least I am, if you hand me a bunch of packets, you know, you can F off. Like, I'm not doing all that shit. It's too much. I'm yeah. overwhelmed already just by seeing all of your packets. Yep. So, but this is a very small and inexpensive workbook. But one thing she had in there is she, she has a whole chapter about triggers. And she comes from a very violently uh, traumatic background. Mm. And she talks about diving into them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. And so I had um, always been very frightened of the Raggedy Ann doll. There's a memory I have that involves this doll. And so I took her advice and I made a piece of art with it. Mm. And I literally like me and I love collage art. So I mm. like cut out all this shit and I made the hair. I drew the Raggedy Ann doll face, mm -hmm. everything. I have not had a flashback or a funky feeling when I saw the picture since I spent that afternoon and I dove straight into that trigger and was mm -hmm. like, you know what? You're not scary anymore. And it yep. really does. It does work. It's I very agree. amazing how we can process and yeah. kind of wash our brain. But um, I, like I use that book that. a lot and mm -hmm. she has some really simple, like you can just tell she gets it. She gets it. She's, mm -hmm. she's been there. Nobody could yeah. write that and not have been there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I understand what you're saying. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to look up that workbook, though. PTSD time to heal. I'm going to have to look that up. I like the way you said that they'll wash your brain <laughs> mm -hmm. because that's exactly what I, I do every week. And I'm not kidding. I do it every single week, five minutes a week, because right now that's what I can handle. But it's been yeah. it's been working more and more. And I've only been doing it a couple months now, but I've done it with other things, because for me, avoiding triggers is what makes them triggers yeah because i look at the definition and what a trigger is the trigger on a gun for example the literal trigger right I, I look at those things and it you pull it and it snaps back and if you don't do it correctly you can get 
hurt from the the jolt of it. You can break a finger with a literal trigger. For those people who didn't know that, it's possible. It happens. (laughs) And you can hurt other people. And you can hurt other people. Yes, absolutely. I've been doing that type of thing in in therapy and then just kind of on my own as well because that's just what I'm used to and comfortable with and then like I'll I'll talk to our psychologist about it and that sort of thing but I I am very anti avoiding triggers. I don't think you should avoid your triggers. I think you should create a safe space for yourself. And yeah. once you have that, then you should work through them. I'm not talking about like gung ho, just karate chopping your mind here. <laughs> like, For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. safely doing it. But if you're not able to do that yet, that doesn't mean you're not going to ever be able to do it. That doesn't mean that you can't find a doctor who can facilitate some of these conversations mm-hmm. for you to have with yourself, for you to have with yeah. another person in the room, and then to just get like a baseline and a balance and another person there like okay so this doesn't make me crazy because that's a big one that I hear a lot too does this make me insane no that doesn't make you insane that makes you someone who is hurt severely yeah because craziness is biological I mean that's the way I look at it I mean you know um, to call someone crazy I don't even like to be called mentally ill like no I agree with you you know I'm I carry impairments like mentally ill people put on me. There's so many circumstances that survivors find themselves in in everyday life, sitting on the couch watching a movie with the family. You see something on TV that is so uncomfortable. Mm. Okay, time to go. Mm -hmm. I'll be back. I got to use the bathroom. Yep. Go in the bathroom with your tiny little notepad and sit on the freaking toilet and go, I just saw this scene, write the name of the movie, I just felt really super uncomfortable Mm. with this scene. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Close it up. Go back to your family thing because you can look at it later. You've written enough to remember. Yeah. And then when you have time by yourself or if you go to therapy with your therapist, whatever's most comfortable for someone, sit back and go, okay, why did that make me feel uncomfortable? Mm. Oh, because they were at a cabin. Yeah. Yeah. And cabins freak me out because a lot of abuse happened to me in a cabin. Right. I mean, it's that subtle, but I think if you can, like, just mark and put a marker on your uncomfortableness, your fear, your sadness, and what caused it at that moment, even if you can't fully process it, you have the marker set to process it later. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the little notebooks. I've got them all over. <laughs> I know. I know. Me too. I've, we probably keep the post-it industry in business through, we probably kept them in business yeah. through the late 90s and early 2000s. No kidding. Because I just post-its everywhere. <laughs> yes. They're so helpful. I, they thought, are. I thought one day my kids are going to have a heyday. When I leave this dimension, I can like envision them all yeah. sitting around and reading my journals and being like, whoa, like, whoa. look at the shit your mom wrote, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, post-its help me a lot too. It's what spurned the journal I have called Becoming Gratitude that I use myself. It's, first of all, I think people need to understand survivors have kind of a short attention span, not because we don't give a shit, we, we tire easily. Yeah. And so working on stuff, sometimes we need to take it slow. So my whole process into gratitude was like, I couldn't have anything that bogged my brain. So I was like, Mm. okay, how can I do this? 
So I created this journal where I'm like, I want to explore gratitude through my senses, like just simplicity. Yeah. Get me back to simplicity. Like, oh my God, like I really love this smell. Yeah. The trees look pretty today. I really had to bring myself back to the most simplest tiny points of my day to spark gratitude in myself again. And that helped me get through some majorly dark moments. I like that a lot. I like the simplicity. Well, I like the simplicity of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not to, helpful. Not to be funny, but it, it is helpful. Yeah. Yes. I, because I, I need things simple. Me too. I, I yeah. do. They must be simple for me. Yeah. And when I say simple, I, I just mean like simple steps. Oh, One, yeah. two, three, four, done. Yeah, no, no, I'm yeah, I'm with you there. Or if you're gonna give me steps one through ninety-two, you're gonna you're gonna have to give me a few days. Yes, <laughs> you're gonna have to accept that this is gonna take me a few days, even if steps even if steps one through eleven are super easy. Yeah. Right, but one through eleven, nah, <laughs> because by the yeah. third one I'm bored, by the fourth one I'm distracted, and then by the fifth one I don't care. So I'll come back to it later or overwhelmed or or whatever. Because I'll look at the big picture and be like, holy shit, this is 99 things. You know, and so now I'm stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I get you. I am with you on that for sure. So I think what I want to do here just before we end is have you let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your book. I'm going to put all the links in the description box below, but go ahead and share with everybody. Okay, well, I mean, if you Google me, Venny Koshis, and my name is spelled V-E-N-N-I-E-K-O-C-S-I-S, it should bring you straight to my website, and I just really try to be blanketed all across the board. I'm Venny Koshis on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, those are the three platforms that I use the most. I also have an anchor podcast that I do poetry, but all of those links you can find by going to my website, bennycoches.com. And then that'll just kind of just be your hub. And I blog there. I'm not like one of those people who blogs every week. I really love to hone in on the topics will hit me. Like I have one blog where I really delve into Prince's music after he became a Jehovah's witness. And so I, I really like to explore and right explorator of pieces and there's a lot of poetry and things like that on there too so very cool thank you and like i said everybody that was venny koshis author of cult child we are going to share all the links below where you can find her book where you can find her books plural and then where you can find further information on her and her social media work and the work that she continues to do for herself and survivors so thanks for joining us again thank you so much for having me i can't wait to talk again soon Me too. All right, everyone. That was another episode of the We and Me podcast. Uh, I never do those outros and intros well at all. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like I am, I am awful at it. I don't know. Well, everybody should take care of themselves, right? (laughs) Self-care after listening to these, these subjects for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Practice some self-care, get yourself some tea, some sweets, get yourself a nap, whatever you need. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. All right, everybody. We'll catch you guys next week on the We and Me podcast. Take care. Thanks, Benny. Take care. Bye.
Street Day. Da-ding, da-ding, da-ding.